0: Welcome to the Humans of Hospitality podcast with me, Mark Cribb. Now, this is the week where we had official data showing that as a country, we unsurprisingly had a historic drop in GDP, and that 25% of that drop was due to the hospitality sector alone. Yet still, we have no confirmation on when bars and restaurants will be allowed to reopen, albeit most of us are working towards the 4th of July anyway. But still, for many people being able to open does not mean that it makes actual financial sense too open, particularly with the debate around one metre and two metre distancing. But most people I speak to certainly want to be able to make the decisions themselves rather than rely on government orders. And without confirmation, it is incredibly hard to give teams certainty of a return date, to give suppliers confirmation of delivery dates, and to generally work through the complexities of getting hundreds of moving parts in a venue up and running. We wait in anticipation. But despite the chaos, this week's guest is a true inspiration of hospitality. Sally Beck is the General Manager of the Royal Lancaster Hotel in London and Sally is also the 2019 hotelier of the year joining some legendary predecessors of the award. I saw Sally talk at a caterer show a year or so ago and have been wanting to have a more in-depth conversation ever since. And we have a pretty wide-ranging conversation all the way from chickens to my relief that Sally was not actually born in a pub to how a 40 million pound refurbishment actually turned into an 85 million pound refurbishment as well as sally's desire to create the happiest hotel in london and what that actually means now sally is a very principled person when it comes to the integrity of our industry and how we should be treating apprenticeships and in fact all members have our teams sally is much more about the team and asking for opinions rather than demanding results And with consecutive years in the Times Employer of Choice Awards, her approach is paying huge dividends, both culturally and financially. Well, it was before the pandemic hit, at least. And we also chat on its impact, complexities and Sally's thoughts on how and when to reopen, as well as some exceptionally creative thoughts on how to come out trading on the other side. Sally's CV is awesome, and she deserves her reputation as one of the best in class. I'm confident you're going to enjoy this conversation and learn a few nuggets of wisdom on the way. And for Sally's Hoteliers Charter that we chat about in the show, please do check out the Patreon page, where you can also support the podcast, as well as I financially, as well as signing up for our weekly newsletter, keeping you informed of our latest updates. Just go to humansofhospitality.co.uk forward slash donate. Enjoy the show. Uh, Sally Beck from the Royal Lancaster, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Hugely appreciated. Can I just ask where in the world are you Sally? Are you at home at the moment?
1: Yeah, I'm sat in a little place called Skittle Green which is a hamlet of Bledlow in Buckinghamshire near Prince's Risborough
0: wow that sounds uh, idyllic is that your your home is it
1: yeah it is it's actually lovely we've got well we've only got three chickens now we did have 10 but the fox got a few um yeah, yeah it, it's a lovely spot so um yeah i'm very blessed to be here
0: we can't start the podcast with such devastating news about the chickens Ali. is this is this recently or? <laughs> uh
1: yeah it was about a week mm. 10 days ago we've got i suppose this time of year you've got hungry foxes and we thought that with us being at home, chickens in the garden and a dog who's quite chicken friendly, we'd be fine. Uh but no, Fox got six. So oh, um rubbish. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I've been I've been thinking of getting some for my garden. Funny, I think that's the, the joy of lockdown is I've been sorting my garden out and uh yeah, that's put me off though. I can't cope with the I can't cope with the emotional trauma. <laughs> well,
1: we did use to name them, but uh, the fox over the years has had about forty, so we're over that now. So uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, very wise. Um, I take it then you're you've been have you been working from home since the pandemic or do you still go into the hotel?
1: Uh I go in uh probably once every week um or every ten days. I was in actually yesterday to see the on-site team um check um check the security measures. Uh recently I've been looking at ways to manage the um social distancing in certain areas of the hotel or so i go in every every week or so um, but other than that i've been here since the 23rd of march
0: and and how weird is it being in the royal lancaster at the moment how many how many people have you got working there
1: i've got about 16 which sounds like a hell of a lot um, originally it was just um two four six eight ten um uh, and i've got it into two teams team a and team b on security and um, doing 12-hour shifts um but i've actually now added my engineering team um because my engineering team are doing ppm flushing uh maintenance etc while the hotel's empty um but i have to it is weird going in but the team have become a real tight little knit family um you know we've got table tennis uh set up in the in the lobby uh, i've got a badminton set set up in one of the ballrooms and, um, yeah, there's a, there's a good vibe, a good team spirit. So, um, yeah,
0: it's That's good. I just think that these buildings normally have such an incredible personality because they never rest really. do There's always uh, hotels are unique, I guess, in the fact they're in operation, you know, 24 seven, unlike office blocks. So it, it's a, it's an odd feeling. I think when you, you see a building l- like that resting or almost in hibernation because they had, they normally have so much energy.
1: Yeah, it is. It is funny. It, there's a definitely a dormant feeling just waiting um and it's also quite weird i don't know whether you know the royal lancaster well we've got this big sort of window that's open up to the forecourt um lot our night manager runs an 8am yoga session in there so if if anyone's walking past they can actually see like 10 unfit team members (laughs) bending and stretching in the front (laughs) lobby so those will be things that we'll remember and smile once we get back to normality, or whatever the new normal is, how our lobby
0: yeah. changed, you know. Yeah, That's great. Well, like yeah. you say, we're creating we're creating memories at the very least. So for people that don't know the Royal Lancaster, then I mean, it, it's a beast, isn't it? Over 400 rooms, but also a lot of events and banqueting space. Can you just give us a little bit of a description?
1: Yeah, um, 411 rooms. We've got 19 floors. We're a big tower block um, that goes up, and um, and then we sort of sit on a podium where we've got two big ballrooms, um, 1,000 in one, 800 in another, um, and about 11, 12 different meeting rooms and space. We've got five kitchens, a um, uh, Nipa Thai, a wonderful Thai restaurant, island restaurant, pastry and then event, event kitchens, uh, and then our first floor park restaurant um, and bar. So it's, we are a big beast. Um, yeah. Yeah, but uh, and, and it, the
0: restaurants open to the public as well. They're not, not just for the hotel guests.
1: Yeah, they're. I mean, obviously, in, in the normal world, they're open to everybody. Uh, right now, they're cl- closed for everybody. But yes, in the normal world, we have a, a good loyal clientele, particularly for our Thai uh, our Thai restaurant. Yeah.
0: yeah, okay. Uh, you are the 2019 Hotelier of the Year, renowned for being passionate about employment of uh, people. So we're going to chat today uh, about your thoughts and, and the hotel chart and we'll come to the pandemic a little bit as well. But I, I just want to touch on your background i'm based down in uh, in bournemouth on the south coast and i understand you know it well is this where your well i should say your career actually started away before that were you, is it true you were born in a pub
1: yeah um i was born in a place called the red Lion in wells um which is near well in Greenore actually near wells uh, and i was there for 18 months and then we moved to the monk's arms at canby corner in lincolnshire and then the barclay and Scunthorpe pubs hotels small small amount of bedrooms um, and eventually I did my first training down at the Dormy in Ferndown. Uh, so near your neck of the woods. I was a trainee, trainee manager for a couple of years there. Uh, and then, uh, I went traveling for a couple of years and then came back and worked with Clipper hotels down the, uh, South West, Southeast, yeah, and then, uh, eventually came to London, uh, and diversified into sales and marketing.
0: Um, yeah. yeah, nice. And, and sorry to go back, but I've just got to ask, when you say born in a pub, is that literally born in a pub or were you born in a hospital but lived in a pub? Yeah,
1: I was born in a hospital but
0: lived in a pub. <laughs> okay, just checking, literally- I thought that really was that really was destiny, if you were sort yeah. of, was like, is that deliberate? <laughs> <laughs> it's like to calm out your niche for the industry, but okay, I'm quite relieved to be fair, I had images of you sort of like <laughs> in some sort of emergency uh, birth on, on on a bar, which, which would be wrong. Right. Um, so, did you, you you moved to London specifically then, with a desire to what to get into one of the the greatest sort of you know hospitality capitals of the world, or, or what brought you to London? I
1: think initially I was scared of London. I, I just felt it was um, too big for me. But um, uh, there wasn't. I think eventually, if you do want to have a career in hotels, that's where the biggest and the best hotels are, and the most vibrant hotel scene is. So um yeah i think london was ended up that destiny for me uh, and i started work at the great western royal uh, which is now the hilton paddington working for mrs batia uh, and i was there for 18 months which is very unusual normally people are about three or four months but anyway 18 months i was there before i then uh moved across to the uh, conrad in chelsea harbor uh, which is my first five-star hotel and then i moved royal garden did the reopening there uh, and then I started the landmark in January twenty no January two thousand and one, yeah.
0: Okay. So yeah. and then uh, it's an it's an it's an impressive CV. I know you're, you're yeah, master in holders and uh, fellowship fellowship of the Institute of, of Hospitality. Uh, you've achieved a phenomenal amount, so congratulations! And um, how long have you been at the Royal Lancaster? And do you remember when you first walked into that building?
1: Yeah, I started. Um, I actually started working at the Royal Lancaster in November, 2012. Um, but my bosses, I had Francis Green at the Landmark and then it was Stephen Kiack Lane at the Royal, Royal Lancaster and Brian Clanick who's the MD, who heads the, all the three hotels that we have in London. They wanted me to come out of sales and marketing, go back into operations and become hotel manager at the Royal Lancaster, which was quite a shift from a director of sales and marketing at the Landmark. That, that's quite a shift so that was a little bit scary uh, and I remember walking in and my husband and I it was all a bit secret at the time went and spent a night at the Royal Ankh uh, and the rooms were tired and very small compared to the landmarks rooms and I remember thinking god me. I, I knew we were going to spend about 40 million on the hotel then and shift it from a four star to a five star and I thought god this is going to be an absolute feat I don't know how they're going to manage that um, anyway I, I took the job took the League of Faith and uh, and then we did the renovations, and it wasn't 40 million. It was 85 millions. And, 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 and we did do it. Um, I was meant to be working for Stephen for a couple of years. Um, but in actual fact, I started November 2012, beginning of, and he handed his notice in end of November 2012. So I actually only had three months with him um, before I took on acting general manager. So my first position, big beast of a hotel, uh, and starting a project that just grew and grew. So, yeah, I had uh, 24 hours of panic and then got my head down. I thought, right, okay, calm down, take a deep breath. And it's not rocket science. You'll do it. And uh, and we did. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, amazing. I'm I'm somewhat relieved to hear that your budget started at 40 million and ended up at 85 because every refurbishment I've ever done of anything has pretty much come out of double what I initially estimated. So uh, was was that... Because you decided uh, to uh, evolve, I suppose, and do more? Or, or did it just go over budget? Because that's a big chunk. Isn't
1: it? Well, I think uh, what originally there was a need to redo the hotel, like over 50 years old. So it was a beautiful sort of knackered um, old lady. Uh, and, and the hotel needed new air conditioning, new plumbing, new electrics, just just the whole infrastructure really. So that was the first 10 million um and then we needed to connect all that new kit to the bedrooms and so that took up the other 30 million so that made the 40 million but I said to the owner you, you never get the return on investment unless you do the the lobby and the public areas otherwise you can have beautiful bedrooms but you still look like you're walking into a 70s hotel uh and that was another um another chunk of money um so it did grow um but it grew properly and our owner um invested everything really well for the next 50 years so it grew um but it wasn't like a a a monster overspend it was actually just you just can't do part of it you've just got to do all of it and do it properly um so yeah that
0: that, yeah that investment i was gonna say in 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 sort of plumbing and electrical and, and all that kind of back of house stuff you don't see is heartbreaking because it's so essential uh, but, yeah, it's very hard to, to sort of justify a return on investment because it's the shiny new things that seem to attract the customers, isn't it? But if you don't get that right, yeah, none, none of it works. So yeah. Not, nice to know it's been done properly. And it's an independent hotel, so this was all all this money was raised privately in essence.
1: Yeah, one, one owner, uh, one family, um, and who invests for the long term. And so I've worked with him since I started at the Landmark in January 2001. He unfortunately passed away in February of this year. Which was just gutting for all of us. Um, but his son, uh, Tung, who is, I've known all the time since I've known Kunjataporn, has been geared and groomed to sort of uh, continue the legacy. Um, and his elder brother, Tong, uh, the two of them have taken the helm. Um, and it's just been awful to have Kunjataporn's legacy close um, with this pandemic. Um, but the two young gentlemen um, are continuing his legacy of caring about staff, caring about the long-term benefits of, um, of our hotels um, and doing it properly. Um, so I feel there's been a smooth transition, even though it's been heartbreaking.
0: Mm yeah well that, that it's good and unusual i think to get that sort of smooth transition all too often a shock like that means things go on the market and, and, and a great deal about people so uh yeah no, nice to know that it's got some sort of longevity i guess mm. um so impact wise then you spent spent the 85 minutes. when did the refurbishment finish
1: uh we reopened as the role well we never closed so royal Lancaster, we put on the front door in 2017 um and then we still have quite a bit of snagging and all sorts of other rubbish to to get through for 18. Uh, but 19 was our was our first full year of full trading with no builders. Uh, and I have to say, we were doing a cracking job, uh, which shifted from 270 in TripAdvisor up to in, in the 30s, which is no mean feat. Um, and uh, taking business from some of the top five-star hotels in London um, in the events and conference side, uh, and making our mark in the high end leisure and, and becoming the five star hotel that we deserve to be. Um, and I kept the same team, um, and everything was going great guns. Um, so yeah, so we, we practically finished towards the back end of 18 and then had a, a, a full, say this was our first full year of trading.
0: Okay, and 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 not just as a result, uh, clearly of the uh, yeah of the investment, as the the turnaround of the hotels, you know, you achieving um, hotelier of the year certainly raised your profile and and you got a lot of publicity. But you also sort of publicly stated that you wanted to create was it the, the happiest hotel in London? So lots of other things have had an impact. What did you mean by that as the as the happiest hotel in London?
1: Um, I mean, listen, I mean, I've been in hotels all my life. Um, and I think we're a really happy industry, but I, you know, it it it's not necessarily the case that it's carried right the way through as to how you care for your staff. But I believe if my team are happy, our guests feel it, and that happiness. It can sound trite, and I don't mean it to sound trite. Happiness to me means that you're heard, you're listened to, um, that you're developed, you're trained, uh, you're part of the solution. Um, that you have a sense of well-being uh, i'm not responsible for my team's happiness but i'm responsible for creating a culture where happiness can thrive you know i, I won't have bullying there's no fear in the hotel there's no fear in any meetings um, everyone's got a brain it's not just mine i expect them all to work um, all this gives a sense of well-being and if you've got a sense of well-being then you can feel happy i want people to come into work feeling right what can i do today i want to be amazing i want to be brilliant i want to do stuff and it's when things go wrong that you know that if you've got a good culture you work out how to fix it you don't have a blame culture and all of this stuff builds this happiness um and so it's it's that i want to be the happiest hotel in london can sound really naff and sweet and i don't want it to i believe it hits money on the bottom line um, I think happy people stay uh, happy people it's contagious uh, and that happiness means they feel safe they're trusted they're valued they're cared for uh, which means they can do stuff they're part of the solution so if you've got something that goes wrong you want to fix it as opposed to say well it's not my fault I don't care you know and, and, I, and it, so yeah so it, it's all it's all part of that um that means that you're the happiest hotel and people want to give the guests that happy feeling and i I think it is contagious
0: i think you're right yeah and i think it's fantastic we run a uh, it's called the hug club our loyalty scheme for uh, our customers uh so yeah happy hugs Uh, i think it's all what we stand for uh as an industry basically And, and it's working in the fact that you've been in the the top 100 of the sunday times best companies to work for for a number of years in a row is that right
1: yeah yeah do you know what it was probably one of my best accolades i think that i've ever had um i i I wanted to get into it because i wanted i think it's listen it's not the be all and end all but it's a way of monitoring whether your team are engaged and truly happy um and the first time we did the questionnaire we got absolutely bloody nowhere it was it it was it was i think got one rosette or something Mm um and we then took those, took that away for two years, and just worked on all sorts of stuff, uh, and then went again. And we were in the midst of, I mean, it was we'd got three or four hundred builders. The place was in turmoil, and we're keeping it open, and the, you know, lifts were out and all sorts. It was, you know, just just a really hard time for the whole team. Went into the survey again and got in, and and I remember being absolutely blown away. Uh, and actually being in tears with with thinking Christ, we're doing something right here, because um, you know the product was so hard to deal with and work with, but the team were engaged. All of that listening, um, being involved, caring had all made huge, huge input uh, to the culture. And and then we've gone on. We got in at number eighty, and we've just we've just carried on now, um, and now we're at thirty eight. I wanna be able- Yeah, I'm I'm pleased. It it was it was a really good thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, because, you know, traditionally we we'll talk about this, but, you know, we have, we have a reputation as an industry, I suppose, as being, yes, you know, great fun and great energy. And, it, and it's not particularly academic, but we also have a reputation for kind of, you know, poor hours and too many hours and uh, yeah, working at antisocial time. So to get your team engaged enough where they're happy to sort of, you know, to shout and rave about working weekends and working Friday and Saturday nights and, and working a lot is, is particularly impressive, let alone doing it when the place is a building site. What were the biggest... <laughs> changes from when you went in the first time you said there was, there was a few things you did over those two years where did yeah. you see the biggest change
1: uh I probably think the uh the service charge um when I came in um you know you, you, you've got to do a lot of things when you come in anyway I started looking at the service charge and realized that it was it was very unfair and it wasn't transparent uh some chefs were in it some chefs weren't um managers in on unlimited hours and could basically screw their teams by putting themselves on for as many as they liked there was a point system if you got on well and you were the favorite you got more points which means you got more service charge um it was all over the place um so I, i i stripped it back i consulted with the team it's transparent managers are capped um, at 50, 50 hours, um, frontline and, and supervisors and team leaders, etc. And everyone else is uncapped, uh, ours is applicable. It's one point, one point for absolutely everybody. Um, and that's it. And, uh, and I think that breathed a whole load of trust, uh, into, into the, into the team, um, you can't make everyone happy, but you can make it fair and transparent for everybody um and it was a okay this is this is fair and this is transparent and that's how it is and and that that went in so that was it, it took a while to consult um but um, that that was a, a, a big start um i would say then also it's being approachable and being around i found when i first started the title general manager was probably the most scary thing known to man um, and it people didn't want to sit near me in the canteen. They'd freak if I came and sat with them. Um, And uh, anyway, eventually they worked out that it's just Sally. Um, And I I open all inductions. I see all team members before they're taken on. Um, I, I, I don't know. I broke down a lot of hierarchical barriers. I have an inverted hierarchy. I sit at the bottom of the triangle and I support the team. Uh, And that means that my job is to make sure the frontline team have got whatever they need because they see the guests. Um, And that that breaks down this middle bit of hierarchy. The hardest thing I find is if a new manager comes into our hotel and thinks, right, now's my time to tell everyone what I want. I don't tell people what I want. I ask people what they think, what we think we should do and how we do it. So I can't have a manager that comes in because I'm the manager, it's my way, this is how it is. That doesn't work at the Royal Lancaster. So if you can break all that down, you can breathe fresh air right through your organisation and you can have trust. And I think from any relationship, if you haven't got trust, you've not got anything. So I think if you've got trust and transparency, then, then you know, world's your oyster. You can keep going
0: yeah i uh i agree 100 percent. i think there's always an irony in hospitality that you know we spend all of our time looking after the customers and you know, whether it's anniversaries, birthdays, holidays, whatever they're visiting for, and, and that culture hasn't necessarily always existed back of house. And I think fundamentally, if you work in hospitality, and I, I think it's it's definitely changed, and we've got much better at it. But but it's a reflex, I think, wanting to look after human beings. And uh, yeah, if you're looking after your customers, you should absolutely look after your team. And, and when I was reading earlier, actually, it made me smile. I saw a quote, and I can't remember where I saw it. it was reading about you earlier. And it was a quote from one of your team. And it said, this is the first place I've worked where the staff don't run away when they see the general manager or hotel manager approaching, we are appreciated for what we do. And uh, yeah i think yeah. that's fundamental how many people do you employ
1: uh i've got about 350 in terms of full-time equivalents and i've probably got about another hundred uh casual agency because of the events business so um usually i top out about 465
0: okay so that's a, it's a it's a, it's a, it's a decent, yeah, yeah, decent number yeah, yeah. A decent number to, to manage and motivate. Um, so, so this is one of the. Is this where the the hoteliers charter? Is this where is this your initiative? And it, did this come about predominantly from a sort of uh, you know employment and culture perspective? Or?
1: Yeah, it did, and it's a it's, it's a funny funny way. I mean, basically, I was so so chuffed to be chosen as the hotelier of the year. Uh, for 2019 and and when you get picked you you have to you've, you've got to do this acceptance speech uh and I was thinking god you know you need to get the whole doyons of the industry there and I'm thinking okay and anyway I did a bit of research and, and the master and holders or the Hoteller of the year um award has been going for 37 years and I was just thinking about you know what's changed and, and what's improved and all that sort of stuff and and, uh, and it came to me that actually our reputation in the industry hasn't improved in that time uh, and what brought it home to me is i've got two daughters and my eldest is actually an apprentice with red carnation but uh, this is a she's turns she actually turns 18 tomorrow but um because when she was 15 she was going to do work experience and she was going to come and do it at, at the royal Lancaster. and there was a friend of hers that um at her school that wanted to come i said that's great well you just ask her mum um and we can sort it out we do five days and work around the departments etc and this mother so this is a 40 odd year old woman in buckinghamshire said well why would my daughter want to be a servant and i thought oh my god um are we still there you know Um, and then i thought about why our reputation is like that uh, and I'm probably going to be controversial, but anyway, you know, Gordon Ramsay. I'm not his best fan. Uh, I'm sure he's an amazing chef, but he's made his money in TV by bullying and shouting at young people, young chefs. And that reputation persists, um, in the kitchens that bullying and shouting is acceptable. And then, again, I'm sorry for being controversial, but Michel Rue Jr., and obviously the Rue family name, have done amazing stuff for our industry. But he got caught um, uh, putting, not paying his team properly at the Gavroche and, uh, and topping up with service charge. Now, that's bad enough, but then he went on national TV and said that everybody does it you can't run a restaurant in London without doing it. And no one in our industry stood up and said, that's not right. I tweeted out, he's got 2 million on his followers. I tweeted out, shame on you. I can run a restaurant without ripping off my staff. I didn't get an answer, but it doesn't matter. But those, those people, that, that behavior leaves an impression that this is not an industry that we should be joining. These are long hours. They get ripped off. Their money's not their own. The the leaders in the industry think this is okay. And and I felt that we need to do more. And I believe that hoteliers do do more. Uh, And the reason it's a hotelier charter and not a a, a hospitality charter is because right now, I think we've got a lot of work to do uh, to improve the reputation of our industry. Uh, and I believe hoteliers, because we've got the profit levels of bedrooms that, you know, help our business mix, um, we do do it better. Um, apprenticeship, apprentices that we have, um, you know, can work across a whole load of different disciplines and then choose to go into food and beverage. And, and if, I, think, I think hoteliers out of the whole of hospitality industry should be held up. Um, as um, leaders of people development and management. I know that's controversial, and I know there are some cracking restaurants out there that do do it properly. But generally, hotels do do it properly, broader and a bit deeper. So the Hoteliers Charter got born um, from when I did my acceptance speech in November um, last year. And then I sat with the West London Hotel Managers, an association that I'm a part of. Uh, the following day for lunch was our monthly meeting and just said we need to do more. And we just decided that a hoteliers charter might be the thing. And we talk about it. There's 10 points that people need to do as, as members. And, um, and that's how it got born.
0: Mm, OK, yeah, good. Um, and what are the key, uh, the key points on that? Without necessarily reading out all ten, but what's the, the 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 sort of either the most important or the general gist?
1: Well, I think I think that team members can be developed. Um, you know, I think you come into our industry and you you know you can you can start as a, a food waiter or a room attendant, um, but you can be developed right the way through to a general manager, um, very very easily. Um, so you know, and I think you know, I mean, I've got thirty. Thirty apprentices um, at the Royal Lancaster, um, and you know they, they they've they generally all of them have got promoted, um, and they 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 stay with you know. Um, I, I think starting on on low pay. I mean, I paid just over the national minimum wage. At only about thirty p, forty p. It's not a, not a stink load more. But but the team the team that that start on on national minimum wage or a little bit over that, they're not on it for long. We we promote quickly, um, you know. And I think that that's endemic across our industry. Um, so that's part in there. Um, employee assist programs. You know, looking after team members that um, struggle. There's a huge amount of pressure in our industry. uh, And certain sectors, you know, struggle with alcoholism, um, debt, etc. And I think having an opportunity to support your teams through an employee assist programme like hospitality action have, etc. Having clear and transparent service charge, um, etc. So, so there's just there's there's key things in there that I think are important being a diversity ambassador. I, the, the other thing you know i I've had two children. I've had Flexi working in our industry, and I think we also forget hotels run twenty four seven, which means we can we can have there's a shift pattern for anybody in our industry if you're in hotels. So um you know we can. We can you know, you can do the working mums, you can do the working dads. Um, that work life balance can happen because there's shift patterns that are available for all. Um, so those are sort of things that I think should be should be um, shouted about and advocated across across the UK.
0: Yeah, I think they look great. And I'll, I'll put them in the show notes so for people who want to read the full 10, 10 points. I'll pop them up on the, on the website that accompanies this. But what's the update then? You're, you're basically encouraging the hotel industry to sign up to this on a sort of a, a hotel by hotel basis. How, how is it being uh, rolled out and, and how have people been uh, responding?
1: Well, in actual fact, we were due to launch it in April, and obviously um, the pandemic came across, so uh, we've just mothballed it all, really. Um, so it's, it's uh, prior, to, um, prior to mothballing it, uh, Pride of Britain was signing up. I think, but There's, there's um, the Northern Hoteliers Association, which is run by Adrian Ellis. There's 200 hoteliers in, in that association. The commitment uh, was fully for all those 200. The West London Hotel Managers Association, a criteria of membership um, for that 30 40 member um, hotel association. If you haven't signed up to the charter, you can't join. Um, So there was a huge amount of commitment um, to the charter, which was cracking. Um, But um, I've since mothballed it just because it's not the right time at the moment. Uh, And um, I'm connecting it with UK Hospitality, who are UK wide, obviously a really important association that's doing us a cracking job right now. Um, Institute of Hospitality, Peter Ducker, has also come on board, Um, uh, very supportive um, as an educator um, for for young people. Um, And uh, the master in-holders have also been massively supportive right the way through. Um, So my, my goal is that the charter sort of sits with the institute the UK Hospitality Association. And also we link up all the individual associations across the UK. And we create a voice of 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 good behaviour, good business practice, good employee engagement. And that can be across the whole of the UK, linking in with the educators, the associations, master in holders, and then the glue in the middle is the hoteliers charter as to how to behave. So the website's being built at the moment uh, and then we'll launch. But I think because of um, you know the big pressing thing at the moment, obviously, is how to come out of COVID, um, I tend to think we'll probably do the launch, I would say, next year, maybe even March, April next year. So I'll have a board meeting in the next uh, couple of weeks and we'll set up what the launch criteria is. Uh, but it's alive and kicking. It's as relevant now, probably even more relevant now than it was before. Um, but I think our industry will survive this. Um, um, but how we care for our teams, how we care for our staff, is going to be paramount as to how well we succeed.
0: Yeah, well, that's a fantastic legacy, though, of your, uh, yeah, your your sort of hotelier of the year. And I guess with the with that kind of support of all of those uh, key industry uh, professionals behind it, I, I'm sure it will uh, it will be taken up. This this idea, then, because I, I, I share your sort of uh, concerns, I suppose, on the on the history of the industry you know i've been in the sector for, for 20 years i do feel that it is changing and changing at quite a pace particularly i think the the kitchen culture i think we've still got challenges around working hours and, and around pay without a doubt and, and obviously some kitchens but it feels like it's changing do you think that change is being led by uh the companies or actually do you think the employees you know it, it's been challenging uh uh, you know, increasingly challenging, I suppose, over the last five or six years to get people to come into the industry. Do you do you think people now, younger people, just expect to be managed in a different way? They have different requirements from their from their employment, and yeah, who's leading this change? I,
1: I think I think it's a combination. I think it's a generational thing. Um, uh, the, certainly, the the, the the younger generations, the millennials and the i generation, no way are they going to do all the rubbish that we all did you know 12 hour 15 hour days are are not the norm in their world and a work-life balance is expected not something that's in the nirvana Um, so i think generationally that's changing which is really important um, and I, so I think that's happening there. And I think there are cracking employers out there who, who you know, themselves maybe didn't see their families when they wanted to and, and, and didn't have that balance and that, and make sure that it's happening. So I think it's happening at both ends of the employment uh, sector, you know, age, age brackets, um, which I think is a really great thing. And I think you are right. It is improving. Um, but that's because we're in it and we can see it. My interest is this lady in Buckinghamshire who wouldn't let her daughter do work experience at our hotel, because why would you want to be a servant? How do we get to her? How do we get to those parents to say, do you know what? I'd love my child to be in the hospitality industry, as opposed to using it as a stopgap. And that, that includes schools and educators. You know, I've watched both my daughters go through their, uh, their options, not once as an educator said, do you know what you'd be cracking in hospitality? It, it's still not seen as a profession that you want your daughter or t- son to go into. You know, you'd still rather they did something else in, I don't know, pharmaceutical or finance or something like that. You don't think, oh yeah, you've got a cracking personality, you could go far in hospitality. They still see it as a, as a, oh you can top up some money, go work in the bar. It's just pocket money. It's not a career we still have a hell of a lot to do
0: we do yeah i don't know how you fix that as as a parent i'm sort of laughing partly as well because you know most of my team have probably got more guitars and crayons than they've got sort of academia and i think it's almost the, the parents wish is almost all, all always that you know you, you get a sort of solid academic uh background and yeah the thought of encouraging people into hospitality you know, you know you and i will love it for the reasons that you know you can progress really fast and it's all about personality and for me the key point of education should be around you know teaching children to be good citizens and if you can look people in the eye and you can smile and you communicate you'd figure whatever industry you go into anywhere in the world you know you'll you'll be well placed but yeah how do you parents always want their kids maybe at least for the first years to be to be doctors and nurses and professionals and then they realize actually you know my son's a bit of a bit of a hippie and likes playing the drums and my daughter's more more likely to become a you know I don't know the dancing on a stage in Ibiza I think so uh, yeah she's probably destined for a a career in, in, in hospitality but it's definitely a challenge I don't know how we fix that in the parent's eyes apart from yeah i suppose it's going to be incremental progress over a period of time i suppose yeah
1: i think i think if they have hear good stories you know i I, I didn't go to uni and i'm running one of the best hotels in london you know uh, and my sister's in hospitality you know she looks after cruise lines and stuff i mean the, the the opportunity to travel um see some amazing places um you carry your work with you you know it, it's it's who you are it's what you are um it is just amazing you know i've had some cracking experiences but we don't talk about that it never gets out there into the public arena all that gets out there is long hours and low pay and and, and all the glorious stories of, of all the amazing stuff you, that you've done we've done we've seen we've experienced just somehow gets buried somewhere. And that's what we've got to change. You know, that, you know, I mean, I, I've had cracking the, the Cricket World Cup, the football, you, the UEFA 96, we're, we, you know, we're headquarters again for 2020 uh, or 2021, as it's going to be now. Um, you know, I've I've traveled the world. I've stayed in the most amazing hotels, been part of cracking campaigns, the, the local campaign for the Olympics coming to London. You know if it wasn't for the hoteliers that would have been a, a virtual bid because there was nothing transient there was nothing tangible in there it was all hypothetical but the hoteliers pulled that off um there's so much that you can do in our industry and you know you look at all of the entrepreneurs that have come through um uh the hotel industry uh, robin hudson um the pig hotels, Malmaison, you know, entrepreneurs can, oh my God, it's such a vibrant, exciting industry. It doesn't get talked about in schools and colleges. If you've got an entrepreneurial spirit and you like people, you should be in hospitality because Christ, you can, it's right on the cutting edge of new trends, food trends, nutrition, drink trends, all of this stuff. Um, but it's, it's not, it's not talked about
0: yeah I think the kids appreciate it I go into schools and colleges and do talks sometimes and I think we could we get uh, I guess p- people probably know know the restaurants locally one of them's on a beach and uh, yeah people are certainly more excited uh, mm. to hear the entrepreneurial journey I guess of somebody in hospitality than maybe you know the the accountant or, or the lawyer goes in so it appeals to the kids but yeah. it doesn't yet appeal to the parents but I guess uh, yeah may, maybe over the generations it will change I was chatting to Robert uh, Walton yesterday uh, from the restaurant association about his young chef uh, young waiter competition and, and the sort of transfer Informations that they've done to that in making it much more glitzy and, and and you know online application process but the whole the whole event around around it was just a lot less stuffy than probably it's been historically so uh, yeah I, I guess there's plenty going on i think one of the things that's come out of the pandemic and i want to chat to you about that a little bit is i guess you know we've seen a much greater appreciation for the nhs and, and clapping for carers which has been fantastic but i do think it, it's been a positive Uh, swing maybe in hospitality as well in the fact that a lot of our industry which is fundamentally crippled at the moment has stepped up and we've seen sort of high profile uh, people feeding NHS workers we've been recognized I suppose as a key service I think people have recognized how much you know it's not until it's taken away that you realize what a social species we are and how much we like bars and restaurants do you think that there is an opportunity at the moment to sort of come out of this pandemic with perhaps a better reputation as as a sector?
1: Yeah, I do. I think I think you're absolutely right. I think there's been some cracking um, examples of how hospitality has gone beyond beyond expectations, and for being for being a sector that's so been incredibly impacted negatively in terms of revenues and and turnover, etc. Um, I think we will come out of it much stronger, which is going to be great. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, I think that's a, an opportunity for us all to grasp and continue the the um, good examples of workmanship. But I think we've still got a long way to go, you know, I, I think hospitality, depending on how the government look after us over the next few months, you know, I, I already hear that um, the amount of in, increased homelessness is from the hospitality sector over the last couple of months. So um, I, I applaud the great stories. But there's an underlying worry that I have that our businesses will not be able to manage this, and our teams are going to be, you know, caught and and and, and lost on the wayside uh, for for a time.
0: It feels like we're hurtling towards. Uh, a deadline and and things are obviously very fluid and changing. But now that Rishi's come out and said from August, you know, we'll be contributing towards the furlough scheme and that's going to be incrementally growing. I think there was some disappointment and concern across the sector that there wasn't perhaps a sector-specific package um you know for a lot of us in in tourism in the uk or in hospitality we're a seasonal industry and i think our biggest concern now is is losing pretty much the entire summer and then how do we get through this winter to next summer with our teams and all of that experience and all of that training intact when it looks like the government support is being withdrawn what's your thoughts on on the trajectory and what the government should be doing and your concerns around
1: i'm i'm pathetically delighted that they've done what they've done so far um and i was somewhat gratified that even though it's 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 been sort of tailored august september october it's still there and and albeit as they've said they're going to um stop the furloughing scheme from november onwards i'm hopeful uh i think the pm's question times yesterday he alluded to sector specific packages for hospitality let's hope that between now and before we get to the end of October, they outline something that can be that safety net for us because with all the will in the world, and, and you know my company's a cracking company, and currently we're topping up to 100% all of our team and have done and, and will do until July, and we're now discussing what that looks like till October. Um, but with all the will in the world, we're not gonna be able to turn a profit um, between November and April unless there's government support um so by not turning profit i mean we haven't made any redundancies but i know plenty of other businesses that already are on round two and round three and that's with furlough currently being in place so um you know the margins for for a lot of businesses are so tight they can't contribute and and the, the social distancing um levels at the moment are unsustainable for our businesses so um i'm hopeful I, I, my cup is always bloody half full. so i've not given up yet i'm hopeful that the government and rishi is going to come up with something that might stretch us through uh those first six months and take us through the winter um but yeah it's 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 um uh, it's not easy um but I'm, no yeah.
0: it's it, it's not understand. i mean i, I employ a hundred people and we've been looking at this in the last few days and you know it's 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 hard to imagine that we don't at the very least you know sort of cut down Particularly in the hotel, I've got I've got a little hotel, but in in the restaurants, you know, we can potentially cut down to a a five day week, and if we do that, it means we can run on one team. So normally open from you know eight in the morning till eleven at night. Save seven days a week means we need two or three teams, but if we cut down to one team, uh, sort of a Wednesday to Sunday for key services. E- even that, knowing that it will probably be loss making throughout the winter. But but you know you you did, we did a list of all of the team on a little spreadsheet yesterday, and it's heartbreaking to realise you know, the quality of some of the people that that we could potentially lose. And you just think, God, it's such a waste because we know we'll need them next april but but it's not you know it's not won't pay it's can't pay you know we just yeah. don't have uh, reserves to get us to that stage you, you know even even with the bills loan there's a limit to the amount of debt you can you can get you can into pay. so yeah I, I share that uh i share the optimism and, and hope although i've become increasingly concerned i guess the other big one that's sort of looming very fast is is the rent issue and the quarterly rent issues maybe more so for the uh for the restaurant sector or certainly some of the bigger hotel chains as well and, that, and that's looking like a, a potential cliff to drop off as well any thoughts on that
1: yeah, I, I we're again we're really lucky our company's not overextended. Um we don't have any big big demands from banks or shareholders. So um we we're, we're in a somewhat unique situation I suppose when I look at most of the industry that I and my colleagues and friends that I've been talking to. Um yeah, I'm hoping that the government can can just help with um Business rate advances, extra loans, and and the people that are working between the banks and 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 people like yourself and others are actually taking the longer term view. Uh, this is time we need another six months at the end of October of support and help to get us through. Um, and and I think we just need to be as creative as possible. I'm I'm now looking at changing all the contracts I've got for all of our team to enforce flexi working. Um, but, you know, I mean, I was on the Zoom with most of the team—not most of them, but a chunk of them yesterday. Our lot will do whatever they can to help us through. What I need is a flexible workforce. I'm not going to touch a single agency or a single casual worker, unfortunately. Uh, so my heart goes out to them too. Um, and if I only need 100 people out of my 300 not on furlough right now, um, then for when we reopen, I'm going to be floating those 100. And 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 make it three hundred and try and keep try and keep them with some money and going because it's going to cost us on redundancies and then I'm going to need them in six months so it ends up as a negative in, in all places. I've asked them to save you money, be careful, take good expenditure advice, but you know just don't blow it all um, because it's we're going to go into a hard a hard place. Um, but I'd rather have three hundred working on a three day week than a hundred working on five. Um, and, and not be able to keep more all. So, I don't know, it's it's going to be a long haul. Um, and we're going to, you know, I'm offering them, you know, if you want to go back to college, you want to take a sabbatical. I'll keep your job open in a year. If, you, if you've just not seen your family for three months because you've been in lockdown, go and have three months holiday with your family, take unpaid, come back in six months, I'll have your job for you. I'm looking at every single way I can. I've got a little list of team members that actually, do you know what, Capability-wise, is it now not time? Those that I've got some cracking people that are in their late sixties, early seventies, that have worked this for years. Is it time now that you actually take take your pension? Because I've got other people now that probably need it more. I've got single working mums that you know to throw them on on the you know out to redundancy now kills me. Um, so you know we'll be having some hard discussions and some creative thinking um, and we will have to make some um, yeah some tough decisions um, yeah. but I'm hopeful we can if the government continue there is talk about a lifeline per sector let's see um, yeah
0: well it's why I like having these conversations it's it's refreshing to know and and, and the same with the feedback that I get I think people appreciate that we're all looking at a similar thing. I was literally on a call before this one with my FD, having exactly that conversation. I've got a team meeting at one of my restaurants tomorrow at ten o'clock, and then I was saying to him that the first stage of this I think has to be that sort of voluntary approach and saying that yeah, exactly what you were saying: who is willing to go down to a to a two or three day week for the winter? Who who has been thinking of studying that course at college or yeah wants yeah. to go home? a couple of months and go abroad and and yeah exactly that the more people that will do it voluntarily and to be fair as we were coming into the pandemic and before the furlough scheme was announced you know we did the same thing and said right what do you need you know i'm, I'm not going to do a blanket 50 percent 20 percent pay cut you come you guys come back and tell me what you need to live on and i will do my very best mm-hmm. to try and find it and uh, and yeah I, I guess that's the wonderful thing about our sector is it, it is full of good human beings and, and if you've got a good company culture people will want to stay and, and i guess there's going to be less places for uh, for people to go as well what's what's your thoughts sort of you know drawing to a close but what's your thoughts on on coming out the other side of this as to the impact do you think a lot of people won't come through it do you think this is a, a six month a two-year issue you you've obviously you will have given this some thought how do you think we come out the other side um I
1: think we've got to be really creative um I think what has what the world that we closed in is not the world we're going to open in uh, and I think you need to find in this period of lull, the time to think and to think really well about what your business could look like, because it's it's all changed. Customer expectations have changed, customer travel habits uh, have changed or will be changing. Um, so so try to really think broadly, deeply and creatively. I mean, we, we've literally, uh, so I'm totally bloody delighted, deal with um rav company we've put in a um a mixed reality um a production studio and i have sam bloody chuffed to bits about it it means that i can do actual reality so if i can only get an audience of 50 people as opposed to the 500 i'll have that and then there's a virtual reality piece that can go out to the other 450 that can't come because of either social distancing or border controls or they're too scared to come into london or whatever Um, and that partnership we've done with rav it's half a million pounds worth of kit they've given us and that i think is going to make a difference for the short term maybe even the medium term where events are going to be hard to run Um, so that's interesting I'm looking at combining a uh, kitchen so that when we do open, I can put our need the kitchen into our in room dining and our first floor kitchen. So then I can do deliver room and I can create that. that's something that our chefs haven't had to do. they have all been separate. Fine. Think differently boys. If I can run it out of one kitchen, I don't have to add the marginal cost of adding a second kitchen and keeping people on furlough because otherwise it's going to cost me then, then we can get that additional cost. Um, so just got to think differently and think smartly. One of my outlets that goes out to the street, um, I'm looking at just doing um, a straight straight takeaway, um, straight into the park and, and just change it. We probably won't open it as a restaurant. It was really hard to break it even anyway, um, when you could do full service. To put in social distancing, I'm only gonna do half the numbers, it's, a, it's, a, it's just, it's a, it's, I can't. There's no way I can make that make money. So I'm best off turning it into a takeaway outlet and shifting it. If we all think differently, all think creatively, keep our heads and work out your base costs and what you need to break even and turn on, there's a chance we'll get out of there. If we're going to be stubborn and not think clearly, then I'm not saying we deserve to fail, but we're not taking all the opportunities that are available. In crisis comes opportunity, and you've got to be in the right frame of mind to find the opportunity and do something with it. And then don't underestimate your workforce. They are not stupid. They understand everything that's going on. They wanna be part of the solution. Bring them around the table, talk about what they can do, talk about how we can do it and the restrictions that you're under in terms of cash flow. They'll get it and then work on it together. And then I think we can, you know, I'm gonna say eternal optimist, we'll come out of it tighter, we'll come out of it better and stronger and probably more resilient and with a different a different set of profit levels and a different set of um, uh, um, businesses, business models than what we had before. And hopefully we'll look back on this, think Christ, that was a seismic shift, but now look what we've got.
0: I love that. Are you enjoying this period of, of enforced creativity?
1: Uh, enjoying is not the right word um, because I know there's people that are behind every bloody decision I make. Um, so not enjoying. I find it challenging. Um, I find it uh, really, really quite um, varied. Sometimes I can be massively positive thinking, okay, there's a glimmer of light. Let's, let's follow that. What can we do with that? Like, like the production studio, I'm bloody delighted with it. Um, but then the next day, you've just read a whole load of gumph that just throws you into a black hole thinking, Christ, when do I open? i can't bloody open there's going to be only domestic business squillions of hotels think they're opening in july and all of them reckon they're going to do about 20 30 occupancy god loves central london it doesn't have that much domestic business to keep those hotels afloat so you know i think expectations are all over the place and somewhere in the middle of it all there is reality the border controls that the quarantining that the government are putting on now is an absolute kiss of death. Why they're doing it now when they didn't do it at the at the start, God only knows. If they keep that stuff on when they open us up, it's 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 really it's like my God, we can't, you know. So uh, there's it, it, I I find it it's it's a little bit of an emotional roller coaster. But you've got to centre yourself. You've got to balance. Talk to other people. Find someone else to get you on the straight and narrow, so you can think creatively. Because as leaders of business, people are looking to us to lead effectively. And if we're if we're chopping and changing in an emotional roller coaster, how can you lead three hundred people? How can I look after the livelihoods and the well being of the team that are trusting me to do the best I can? So it's not an enjoyable place. Um, but it's a place that I'm determined to use the time well to do the best I can. Um, And I hope to God that the government continue giving us every bloody lifeline known to man. I hope to God our owners continue being patient with us and look to their own resources so they can keep bailing us out if they need to. And I look to, to the public and our industry to use the time well to be so bloody creative, to create the demand to get people back in through our doors and spending their money.
0: Well, that seems, seems like good advice. Do you know when you're going to reopen?
1: I'm thinking August. Um, I think July with government um, keeping the furlough open till about 80% and all the rest of it. There's no business model on earth that will make me open in July. Uh, particularly with the quarantine measures on. August, there's a chance, I think there's a case of being in when everybody else is open. If not August, if I can't, depending on what happened, i have not quite set a day yet, definitely September because um, I've still got you know this corporate business. With this, with this production studio, um, uh, the demand for that, I think, is going to mean that we need to be open in August, ready for a September september something um the business that i've had in is is moved and changed but by having the opportunity of doing the virtual and actual reality it's given our clients say oh my god i could do it i need to do it i can do it right let's work that out and and we're being so flexible with our clients saying okay listen let's just just let's just make it work um so i anticipate that september october i won't have the business i wanted um but i should have something and we'll be offering a service to clients that need to communicate with their wider workforce mm,
0: so okay well, i think people are being more understanding and more patient i think i think we can't do more than that really is it and say so, look we're all affected by this it's, it's a new world for all of us we'll work with you we'll be flexible we'll we'll try and navigate a way through but uh, i'm very conscious of time so thank you so much for uh, being so open and for chatting i'm sure lots of people will find that uh exceptionally useful People want to follow your journey are you particularly uh, active on any particular social media channel either personally or as a business <laughs>
1: um the team uh, i, I I'm, I'm not miss brilliant uh, my daughter helps me run an instagram account uh i'm probably most active on linkedin but it's only when i can turn my head to it so um my team do facebook we've got a, a closed facebook account for everybody on the team and then obviously we're out there with twitter as well but me personally I'm not the best social media buddy known to man. Probably LinkedIn is my most active.
0: Um, okay, perfect. Well, I'll put some links up on the website to uh, to, to some of the company ones and, and perhaps yours as well. And uh, enjoy your daughter's birthday tomorrow. That's 18. exciting. 18, big change.
1: <laughs> yeah, 18. Um, obviously, it's going to be a, a lockdown 18th. So, um, But my husband, myself and our other daughter, we've got lots of little plans and exciting things to surprise her with. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think we'll have fun. And then uh, over the family, uh, hopefully the weather's going to stay And then uh, my mum and sister and some other friends can come and do the socially distanced garden thing over the weekend and we can have some more visitors. So uh, it'll be fun. Yeah.
0: Perfect. Well, it'll be memorable for different reasons, I'm sure. So, uh, yeah, good luck. Yeah. And uh, we'll keep in touch and, and I'll try and uh, pop in. And if you're ever back in your old stomping ground of Bournemouth, then uh, come down for a glass of wine on the beach. But uh, thank oh. you so much for spending time today.
1: Thank you very much, Mark, I'd love to do that.
0: A huge thank you to Sally for being so candid and honest about the difficulties of making complex decisions that have an impact on the lives of so many of her team. These human decisions can be tough to make in a business-focused world, but we should never forget that we are humans first and businesses second. Sally is walking that tightrope with her head held high, and her team are clearly appreciating her dedication to trying to support them. As always, please do scroll down on your phone right now or whatever device you're listening on and hit the subscribe button and the five stars next to the reviews. Just those few seconds of your day really help me out and hopefully a good value in return for great conversations. This episode was released on Tuesday the 16th of June and I will have another episode for you revisiting Griff Holland from Frisker Food in Bristol this Saturday the 20th of June. Thank you.